Thank you guys very much. That was great. I love that song, Cornerstone, the truths that are found in there, that, that on him alone, our hope is found. I think it's, it's just a wonderful thing to get to sing that together. Now, um, we're going to start our service off a little bit different. I, I hope that he's already here. I'm looking for David Royal. Is he, has he already made it here? That would be a no. That would be a no. Okay. Well, David and Chelsea Royal, uh, how many of y'all know the Royals? Okay, good. A whole bunch of you. They have a baby. He's about three months old. And um, this week they are moving down to uh, Belle Glade, Florida, and he's going to be pastoring Victory Baptist Church. And so um, I'm really excited about that. Um, We're sad to see them go. That's a loss for us as a church family. But one of the things that we want to see happen here over and over and over again is we want to launch people into ministry. We want to launch young men to be pastors and church planners. We want to send people overseas as missionaries. I, I want to see that happen over and over and over again. So we we're supposed to pray for them today, but we may have gotten up quicker. When you got a new baby, you never know uh, what's kind of happening there. So uh, we're going to pray for David. I was hoping he would be here so we could celebrate. Now, he'll get here at some point because we talked about this, so he should be here. Um, but when he gets here at the end of the service, if you see David and Chelsea, let me give you all a couple warnings. Listen, that woman has a new baby. Um, it's coronavirus time. I know you're going to want to see that baby and kiss that baby and touch that baby. Please do not do that to that mom, okay? Just stay back. The baby is cute. I'm just telling you, he will draw you in like a tractor beam that you're going to want to kiss those cheeks. Uh, My wife, I've had to warn her already, we have enough kids. Stay away from that baby. Um, Listen, I know, just please, for for the sake of her and the baby and her peace of mind, please don't touch the baby. Just stay back. I know you're going to want to express your love to them when they get here. Um, But we're going to pray for David and Chelsea and for his ministry he's going to be having it at Victory Baptist Church. And as a young guy, listen, we need to be praying for him. He's going to a very diverse region. Um, tons of ethnicities in the area that he's, they're moving to um, and tons of opportunity for gospel witness. So we want to pray for them. So let's pray for David and Chelsea before we jump into our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, um, God, you know how much we love the royals. Um, but God, we think you're worthy. You're worthy to to empty this building out a million times over, launching men and women to the ends of the earth for your namesake. God, we we would chuck it all, every last bit of it, if it would cause your kingdom to advance more. So God, as much as we love having the royals for the time that you let them be here, God, we pray you would would bless them, that, that you would give David and Chelsea all the energy they need and the wisdom they need. God, we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would prepare the way at this uh, young church, or at this church that this young man's going to be pastoring. God, just help him. Help him to lead them to worship you more and to love the people around them well. So you know, we, we pray for David and Chelsea. God, I pray for us as a church that as we gather right now, God, God, would you help me to teach? I pray you would help me to teach the word clearly and accurately. And I, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit, that I would be, be able to proclaim your word by the power of you and not by my own effort. God, I pray for all of us that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would have hearts that would listen to your word well and and hear you. Um, God, give us tender hearts. I pray we'd have hungry hearts for you, hearts that would burn. And and I pray that your spirit would help all of us hear what you would say to us through your word today. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, we are jumping back into the 
the book of Philippians. Now listen, uh, I looked back at my notes and realized this is my 27th week in the book of Philippians. Um, And we're only in chapter three. I don't know what that means exactly apart from six months down, another eight months more, and we will finish the last two chapters. I'm just kidding. It shouldn't take that much longer. Listen, it's, it's been rich and it's been deep, and I, I have not felt the need to rush to the book of Philippians because what I figure is if I'm here for 20 more years, I will never get another chance to preach to the book of Philippians. So let's go ahead and take our time and savor every last drop of it, hopefully not driving you nuts. But we've been out of it, even though we've been in the book for over six months, we've been out of it for eight weeks. And so I want to do a quick crash course to remind us Uh, what's happening in the book of Philippi. So here's how that church got started. Philippi, Paul shows up for a missionary journey. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. Um, If you do, just keep nodding. It makes me feel better. If you don't, just stare at me and it makes me feel better, I guess. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter how I feel, but let me remind you what's happening here. He shows up to this city, um, shares the gospel with a lady named Lydia. She gets saved right out of the gate. Um, They start setting up in her house for starting this church, and people start getting saved, but there's a demon-possessed girl following Paul around, right? Does this story sound familiar at all? She's following around, yelling stuff out. Eventually, Paul gets tired of it, cast a demon out, but uh, what ends up happening is she was a slave and her, she would do fortune telling and her masters lost their source of income because Paul relieved this woman of the oppression of that demon. I mean, just total crazy first couple weeks in the city. Uh, so that makes these guys angry. They drag them in front of the courts and before there's even a trial, they beat Paul and Silas. They throw them into prison in the, in the deepest part of the prison, lock them up, right? Y'all remember this so far? And then what happens? Paul and Silas, instead of being angry about the unjust treatment, instead of whining and complaining about it, instead of cursing the people that are mistreating them, they begin to sing praises to God. And it's midnight. Their backs are bloody and sore. They're hanging upside down with their feet in the stocks. And they've just suffered the most unfair injustice that's it's against all the laws of Rome, especially Paul as a Roman citizen. But he begins to worship God. He begins to rejoice in the Lord that they were counted worthy to suffer for his namesake. Next, there's an earthquake that happens, and this crazy earthquake causes all the doors to open and all the chains to fall off. And what do the prisoners do? There's something better than freedom. There's something they heard in Paul's prison cell as he was singing praises to God. And instead of running for freedom and away and to get out of the jail cell, they run to Paul's prison cell. Because there was something better than freedom that they had experienced. And listen, you don't do that if it's a fake show. It it has to be the real deal for you to see an earthquake and say, God must be letting me free. And the thing you're thinking is, I got to go hear what Paul had to say. I would rather be in prison with whatever message that guy has than be free away from it. And they run to Paul. And then the jailer comes in, right? Um, and he's nervous because he sees all these empty cells and he thinks he's about to get all their punishment so he's going to commit suicide so he doesn't have to face that punishment. And Paul stops like, hold on, we're all here. And the jailer walks in and sees all of these people and then that guy gets saved and gets baptized. That's the start of the church in Philippi. And, and Paul is riding to this church. He's in a prison cell again. That's kind of his, his life theme. He's in and out of jail all I all his life long, and he's in a Roman prison cell, and he's writing to the church in Philippi that he's left, that's, that's gotten started, and he hears they're still suffering persecution, which you can imagine, that's how it got started. They're still having pressure from the city to not follow Jesus, and not only that, but um, 
they're also fighting with each other. That's how we know it's a Baptist church. There's fighting. Um, uh, I thought y'all would find that funnier. Maybe not. Okay, anyways, moving on. So Paul writes to them, and in chapter 1, he says, listen, you need to know something. Like, even though I'm in prison, the gospel's still advancing. Like, let's look at what Jesus is doing. Like, everyone is hearing about the gospel. Even the Roman guards who are chained to me right now, they're hearing the gospel. Even in, in Caesar's palace, they're hearing the gospel. This is a great thing, and that's what we want to have happen. This is what matters most, Jesus being proclaimed. And then he begins to address this thing for him, saying, listen, we want to live a life that's worthy of the, of the proclaiming of Jesus, worthy of the gospel. He says, I want you to be unified and consider each other more important than yourselves because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's all of Philippians 1 and chapter 2. That's as quick as I can summarize it. So, um, if you just heard all that and were able to follow, you've caught up to 27 weeks of sermons, which makes me wonder why I spent 27 weeks on it. Anyways, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Let me pick up where we left off last. Here's what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Listen, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of arguments and fighting in your church, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. It's good for you. Then he goes on after saying all that, which is an audacious claim, by the way, to say, listen, that's, that's why you got to stay away from legalism, because it will rob you of your joy. That's what he says in the next couple verses. And listen, as I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm looking at that command to rejoice in the Lord, and I'm thinking about what we are experiencing today, right? We experience pandemic. You have to wear a mask indoors and all over the city of Tallahassee. Does that make anyone happy here? All right, good. No one. It makes none of us, none of us like wearing a mask. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's not pleasant. We don't like all the restrictions, the fear. Half of people are not leaving their house. They're staying at home because there's danger outside for them with the coronavirus. And then we've had racial tensions, and we've got a, an election cycle. And I feel like I've said this every single week. But here is Paul talking to a Philippian church saying, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. You need to rejoice in the Lord. Church, I want us to hear this. We are supposed to be a people who rejoice in the Lord regardless of the circumstances that we're in. That's what we're supposed to be. Now, when I hear that command, does it feel impossible to anyone else? I, listen, if I told you that the last six months have been the most joy-filled months of my life, would you believe me? Because they haven't. <laughs> uh, they haven't. And that's not okay. I'm telling you that, that it's easy to miss this. We see this command, and I want us to feel the bigness and the hugeness and the impossibility of a command that says, you rejoice in the Lord no matter what's happening around you. It feels, it feels big and heavy. It, it almost feels fake. Can I say that? Like it almost feels that there would be this pressure that what you would have to do is it, if you, if you heard this wrong, here's what you would think Paul was saying. Just put a smile on your face, no matter what. Right? Can we come up with a sweet little Christian platitude to throw out when things are hard? You know, the perfect tweet in 120 characters or less, right? Or is it words? I don't know. I shouldn't go there. Right? Is that what we need to do? We need to do this thing like, listen, no matter what's happening, I'm whatever the Christian phrase is. Like, 
Is that what it is? It's put on a happy face. Don't talk about the bad things. Like just don't even bring them up. Only talk about the happy things and then we'll all be good. Is that what Paul is saying here? Because listen, um, if, that's, if that's what he's saying, I got to be honest, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with a command that says, fake it until you make it. Just smile, no matter what. Don't let anyone know what's really going on the inside. Just be happy, smile, just enjoy life. Look at the positive things. Don't look at the negative things. I don't believe that's what Paul is telling us to do because Paul's writing from a Roman prison cell. Like Paul does not seem to be a guy that doesn't talk about the tough things. And so as we look at this, I I want us to see exactly what it is because I think Paul is explaining how you rejoice in the Lord in the upcoming verses. That's what he's going to do. I think think that's what's happening all through chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. He's trying to tell these people how to rejoice in the Lord. So let me pick up for our verses for the day, which is this. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 3. I love these verses because Paul is just talking about all his, all his, um, his pedigree and his resume for why he's such a religious, awesome dude. And here's what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, like all those religious effort that I had done, all, all the, the way I followed the law, the way I was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the way I was zealous for persecuting the church, the way I was blameless, all of those things that I thought was gain, that was profit, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. These verses will preach all by themselves. He's saying, listen, everything that I thought was a profit to my account, I was sitting here looking at all of this stuff and saying, listen, man, I, like, God's got to be happy with me. I obey him. I live a clean life. I don't eat any pork. I go to the the uh, synagogue every single Saturday. I know the word better than most of the people around me. Like I'm the elite of the elite when it comes to being clean and righteous and good. I've got it all. I am the perfect package. God has to be pleased with me. And, and here's Paul just keeping his ledger of everything he does. Yep, God's going to be happy with that. Yep, God's going to be happy with that. Yep, he must really be happy with me. Now look at how serious I am. Like it's changing even the way I eat and dress and everything about my life. God's got to be happy. Look at my performance. And then all of a sudden, Paul meets Jesus. He has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's heading to Damascus to persecute Christians for for God. (laughs) He's doing it for God. All this effort all this zeal, all this energy. And then he actually meets Jesus on the road and his entire life and his entire thinking gets flipped upside down. And now Paul chucks it all, every bit of it. He chucks it all, not just for nothing, but because he wants to get to know Jesus. Look look at how he says it here in in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's what I want you to hear. This is is actually the baseline for rejoicing that I think Paul is laying out here. That here is Paul, and here's what he's saying. I've tasted Jesus and his gospel, and it makes everything, it makes everything, all of it, Everything I thought was valuable, everything I thought was precious, all of it seems like loss to me. 
Listen, I, I love this. I want you to hear the passion and the desire and the longing that Paul is saying that he has for Jesus. It's, it's this thing that's burning in him. That, that here's how I would say it. Simply put, Paul is saying this. He's saying, I passionately want more and more of Jesus, and I will leverage everything to get more of him. That's what I want. I want Jesus. I want him alone. I'm going to spend everything I've got and every waking moment I've got and all my energy and all the things that I have, I'm going to use all of it. I'm going to put all my chips in just so I get more and more and more and more of Jesus. Listen, that's the heartbeat of Christianity. And for many of us, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been told that Christianity is praying a prayer and then living a clean life. That's not Christianity. We've been told that Christianity was putting your best foot forward and looking good and great and making everyone think you're respectable, that you behave in a certain way. That we, what we've, we created this thing that if you make the outside look good, just show up to church, just serve in a couple areas, make everyone think you're good. It doesn't matter if you want Jesus. It doesn't matter if you long for it. We don't even go there half the time. That for us, the conversation is, do you obey Jesus? But we never have the conversation, do you want Jesus? You cannot obey Jesus if you don't want Jesus. you got to long for him and want him more than anything else. That is the heartbeat of Christianity. Doesn't mean there's not obedience. The problem for us is we've substituted obedience for desire. And that is not the Christian faith. We've grown up rubbing elbows with people and, and all they do is they know how to obey, but there's no longing for Christ. We, we long for tradition. We long for trendiness. We long for comfort and a good family. But do we long for Jesus? Why does it feel at times we can go to churches all over the place and when you meet someone whose heart burns for Jesus, not fake, I'm talking about really burns for Jesus, like what Paul is talking about here, why does it feel weird to us sometimes? Why is it so unfamiliar in the church to have a bunch of hearts that burn for him? Why are we okay with hearts that are dull and cold and not longing for Jesus? As pastors, we, we set the bar so low because we don't want to talk about longing. Just, can you just show up and give? If I could just get you to show up to church every other week. If I could get you to tithe, now we're cooking on, on all cylinders, right? Like cooking on, we're cooking with gas. Merge two illustrations there, phrases, right? If I could just get you to do that, I don't, I don't care. Maybe eventually you'll desire Jesus. Listen, that, that is not at all Okay. Utmost and at the very basic level, we need to have a longing for Jesus. Listen, Jesus talks about this. He uses words like treasure. Uh, let me show you a passage in Matthew chapter 13. Because I don't think this is the only place this happens in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. I, I love these parables here. All right, so Jesus is talking in parables, which is really meant to confuse people and help them not really see what's happening, and they need the Spirit to help them get it. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Do y'all remember this story? It's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Listen, 
And then in his joy, look at how happy he is to do this. And when you read these verses, you're going to see joy and treasuring. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Like the picture is a guy finds a treasure and that thing is so valuable to him, he's willing to chuck it all just to get that treasure. Another dude, which I think that treasures Jesus. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Like it's, it's valuable and it's happy. Listen, we, we know this type of sacrifice for something we treasure, right? Like, for example, whenever you watch football and whenever that happens again. And, and you're watching the Super Bowl, right? And you see these men that are on the field. They have trained and sacrificed. And yeah, they've got a genetic advantage. I don't want to get into that. These dudes are gigantic and they're fast. And it's not fair because it doesn't matter how hard I work. I will never be an NFL running back. You just got to know that. Uh, it, maybe, I could, maybe I could eat enough to have the girth to be a lineman, but probably not. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't have the genetics for it. But even if you have the genetics... The work that these men are doing, the sacrifice, year in and year out, it changes their diet, their workout effort. I mean, their whole life becomes wrapped around this sport. And then for them to attain that goal at the Super Bowl, listen, let me tell you what you never hear anyone do. They win the Super Bowl, you don't see them grab the mic and be like, this is the worst. Man, I wish I would not have practiced so hard. Wish I wouldn't... Listen, that injury wasn't worth it. You never hear those guys say that. Why? Because the prize is valuable to them, and they would, they're willing to sacrifice their bodies and injure themselves and their time and their effort because the treasure is worth it. We, we, we recognize that. They seem happy to do it, to get a shot at the prize. And what Paul is saying here, well, I think what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, is that Jesus is a treasure and it should make us happy to leverage everything to get him. So, so here's my question for you. Do, do you treasure Jesus like that? Like is, is there a longing in your heart that you want to leverage everything to get to know him more and more and more? Because I, I think that's what Paul's saying here. He says, I value Jesus. And so everything was lost. All of it. Like he, he's even going to describe what actions accompany treasuring Jesus. He's not just going to tell you, yeah, you need to treasure Jesus. But I want you to see the actions that accompany it. Look at verse, we'll go back in verse 8 again in the second half. Look at these, these actions and attitudes that accompany treasuring Jesus. He says this in the middle of verse 8. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That, we've done this word before. That word rubbish is scubula means poop, okay? Let me just go ahead and get it out there. I, I count everything as dung in order that I may gain Christ. You know what he just says there? Here's what Paul is saying. I value Jesus, and here's the action that accompanies it. Everything else, all of it, it seems worthless to me. All of it, because he's just so good. And not only that, but look how he says, he suffered the loss of all things. Paul's looking at suffering. It's He's saying, listen, all the suffering of losing all the things that I lost to get Jesus, it's been worth it. You, you think it cost Paul something to follow Jesus? 
Think of what his family and friends would think about Paul after he left Judaism and became a Christian. All the prestige and the reputation, gone. The income, gone. You think it was fun to go city to city and get run out of town and have people hate your very existence when you came in? They would say, here comes this Paul dude. Now he came to our town, wrecking the whole stinking world. To go from honor and respect to that. You, you, you think that was fun? You think it was fun to be beaten? To have people plot to kill you? Think it was fun, fun to be shipwrecked? To be in fear of your life? You think it was fun to go to churches and have them get angry at you and throw things at you and run you out of town? Think that's all fun? Listen, for Paul, following Jesus cost him a lot. It cost him suffering. Listen, church, when, when you want Jesus, suffering becomes a tool to get you more of him. And so that makes you rejoice in suffering. If you want prosperity and peace and comfort, you want a good family, you want health, and listen, I know we all want those things, but when those things get rattled and they become the bullseye that you are aiming for, your joy goes with it. If the thing that you aim for is, I just want more income, I want financial stability, then when a pandemic hits, guess what? It's hard to rejoice because your goal, your prize is getting attacked. When your family is the target you are aiming for, that's a great thing. But when it becomes the prize, the goal of your life to have a good family, and your kids hit middle school or high school, or college, or whatever. They can do it in there. We can, as kids, we can do that to parents in our 30s and 40s. You don't ever stop it. But when you see their life start to go astray, and it doesn't work out the way you want, or divorce happens, or whatever, when that hits, and that target for your goal for all your joy and happiness gets rattled by decisions that you can't control, your joy hits the road. Health, if health is your target, or prosperity, Go to the doctor, get that test, hear that test result, and all of a sudden realize everything begins to rattle and your joy is under attack. You can't rejoice when your idol's being hit. Listen, what he's saying here is I wanted Jesus and I saw suffering. And I saw suffering as a way to taste more and more of Jesus. Let me, let me show you more of what he says here. Verse 9, I think this is awesome. He says, I suffered the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And, and here's what he understands. The way I get Jesus, I got to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, whenever you are a person whose prize is Jesus, here's what you know. I love the gospel. When you're a person whose prize is Jesus, you do not get over the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, the way I get to know Jesus is because he removes my sin and he does all the work. The way I get more of Jesus is not by performance, it's by more faith. The way I get access to Jesus is that he did all this work on the cross. He died for me. He came back to life three days later. He has everything I need, even the way to get to him. And so that makes me love the gospel more. I don't get over it. You don't pray a prayer and then never consider the goodness of the gospel again and be a person who treasures Jesus. 
You never get over the gospel. It's constantly, you're rehearsing it and reminding yourself of the goodness that Jesus has given you. He's given you access to the greatest treasure in all the universe. You don't get over the gospel. You love the gospel. You share the gospel. You meditate on the gospel. You you savor it. It's precious to you because it's the very first step for getting Jesus. Listen, it's not just that you consider everything less when you treasure Jesus. The gospel becomes infinitely valuable to you when you treasure Jesus. That's why we're having conversations that we want to be fluent in the gospel. We want to know how to speak it to one another and apply it and remind one another of the good news. It's not just for the moment you get saved. It's the thing that empowers you to live the Christian life. The gospel helps you get saved and helps you live saved. That's one way to say it. Look at what else Paul says here, verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. Listen, he's sitting here saying, listen, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power. I want to experience the real Jesus. I I don't want to just know about Jesus in my head. I want to experience Jesus. Like a real experience. Like where my heart is burning, where I feel his power at work in me. I see him killing sin in me. I I see him meeting me. I'm encountering him. It's not just head knowledge. It's real life experience of knowing Jesus. And then it caused him to this almost crazy reckless abandon. He says, I want to share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. I want you to hear what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, when I suffer, I'm sharing suffering with Jesus. So for Paul, the reason he can rejoice after he's been beat and thrown in prison is this reason right here. Now, now imagine this church hearing this. They saw Paul do this. That they witnessed it and experienced it. Many of them got saved because he did this. He's sitting in that prison cell and his back is bloody. And, and here's what I think he's saying happens in his head. Two things. One, he's saying, man, Jesus was beat for me. I just got these, these, these cuts on my back and these bruises. And now I actually know better what he went through for me. And it makes me feel loved. Can you imagine that? That here is Paul in the moment of his greatest, one of his greatest sufferings. He's thinking about the suffering of Jesus. And now he knows it better. And that makes him feel more loved by Jesus. Yeah, that'll make you that'll that'll make you dance or no, not dance for Baptist. That'll make you sing or do a shoulder shrug, whatever that is. That's that's as much dancing as I got. Uh, it's the Arab in me. It, I don't need to let it out. Anyways, so he's sitting here saying, "Listen, I, when I when I'm suffering, it helps me identify more with the suffering that Jesus did." Not only that, but he said, "I shared in the suffering. Like I, I, I'm suffering, and here's what I'm thinking: Jesus is letting me suffer for His namesake." He's counting me worthy to suffer for him. Like, listen, when, when you're living for Jesus and it costs you something, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, listen, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'll give you everything you need in eternity, but I'm letting you join me. You're partnering with me in suffering for the sake of the gospel. 
man, he's saying, listen, if I, I will suffer everything just to get that experience, just to be with him, even in suffering, just to get to know his experience better through suffering. Like, listen, all of it gets me closer to Jesus. Or, or maybe it does this, because he's saying, I, I want to get to the resurrection. I, I want to be with Jesus no matter what. Here's, here's how that looks for us. I, I, I'm talking in really theoretical terms. Let me flesh it out a little bit more. So say you all of a sudden start to suffer. And not only, maybe you're not suffering for living for Jesus. Maybe you're suffering just because it's life and it's suffering and it's hard. Let me tell you what happens in the, person of, in the mind of a person who loves and treasures Jesus. You lose that job, uh, you have that, that health issue, you lose a loved one, whatever it is, that hits, and you begin to experience the suffering, and now you think through, man, Jesus suffered for me. And you think through the gospel, look at what he, he bought. He made death not the end. This is amazing. I, I can worship you, I can cry and weep and suffer, but I'm still saying, man, Jesus gave me heaven. He gave me access to himself. This is phenomenal, so death doesn't wreck me. But, but, but maybe what happens, you sit, sit there and maybe it's not death. Maybe it's just the loss of a job. We can go that way. And, and you start thinking about verses like Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 1 that say, listen, that the trying of your faith produces patience. And that patience produces character and character produces hope. Hope in Jesus. And hope does not put you to shame. You sit there and say, man, I, you know what's happening right now? What's happening in this suffering is Jesus is making my faith stronger. And the stronger my faith is, the more I get to know Jesus. So I'm, I would gladly pay that price of admission because I get more of Jesus. And the suffering doesn't go away, but it gives you joy because it's getting you closer towards your ultimate prize. Or, or maybe it's different. Maybe for you, the struggle happens and then you begin to realize, man, I think God is removing sin out of my life. Hebrews chapter 12, what does that say? It says when you're suffering that what is up happening is what God might be doing is one of the things is he's removing sin. He's treating you like a child and a parent disciplines their child. And what you feel in the middle of that thing is he's getting rid of sin, but that means I'm a son or a daughter. That he loves me, that he's willing to go after the sin in my life, even if it hurts. And if that's gone, that means I get more of Jesus. So bring it. Bring it. Get rid of it. Let me suffer and expose the sin and get rid of it because I want more and more of Jesus. Listen, when Paul says that we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord, here's what I think he's telling us. That treasuring Jesus is the root of rejoicing. Like if you will treasure him, It'll be the thing that causes you to rejoice over and over again. It'll make you radically pursue Jesus. Listen, that's one of the reasons why I love being in a church that has a wide range of, of ages. Because let me tell you what I love. I love the fact that in our church, we can have conversations with people who have followed Jesus for 60, 70 years. Who followed Jesus and pursued him through all the things that life could throw their way. They followed Jesus through cancer. They followed Jesus through children going astray. They followed Jesus through the loss of their spouses. They followed Jesus through the loss of job, through sacrifice, and they're still here and they still love Jesus. Listen, that's why we don't want to be a church with a bunch of 20-year-olds who don't know how to follow Jesus through trial. We need both. We need both of those generations together as the church showing each other you can love Jesus through everything. 
That's valuable, church. That's what we want. We want to be people who follow Jesus through everything because he's our treasure. So church, here's my question for you. Do you treasure Jesus above all else? Does your heart burn for him? That you would say, I would gladly endure all suffering and the loss of everything if it just gives me a little bit more of him. Listen, I pray that's who we become more and more and more of. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as I lead us to a time of response? Listen, uh, for those of you who are here right now, you're sitting there saying, you know what, I, I don't believe I treasure Jesus. I've gotten distracted. I've begun to treasure other things whether that's money or family or job or comfort or your political party or whatever five million things you could add to the list. If that's you, I just want to call you to repent and ask Jesus to help you be a person that treasures him above all else. Listen, for some of you, you treasure him, but you want to treasure him more. Listen, can I just encourage you right there in your seat? Express that longing to him and ask him to help you. Don't just pull your stuff up by your bootstraps. Ask him to enable your heart to have more and more affection for him. For some of you here today, you're suffering. Can can I just encourage you to look to your treasure, Jesus? in the midst of suffering. Listen, suffering will get you closer to Jesus. Would you ask him for the grace to endure it and to see that happening? There's another group that I would want to address in the room. For some of you, yeah, you you know church, and you know the prayer, but there's never been this thing that's happened in you where uh, you got a new heart. Like Jesus dying on the cross um, is a good traditional thing, but it's not precious to you. Can I just encourage you, if you've never come to the place where you've said, man, you know what, I need what Jesus did on the cross for me. Can I just encourage you to repent and to ask him to save you and place all your trust in Jesus' death on the cross and believe that he came back from the dead. If you will repent and ask him to save you, then he says that what he'll do is he'll come and he'll be in relationship with you and he'll be close to you and, and he'll forgive you of all your sins and he'll make you a son or daughter and he will do what it takes to make you look more and more like his son. If you've never done that, I just want to encourage you to do that today. The end of our service, our pastors will be down front. We would love to get a chance to speak to you about that. But for all of us, I do pray that one of the things that would be happening is right now that you would be praising Jesus as your treasure. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you see all of our hearts. God, we confess our fickleness and the fact that sometimes our hearts get attached to lesser things. God, would you make us a people that would settle for nothing less than you and you alone? God, make us a people whose hearts burn white hot for you and for your namesake and for knowing you and walking with you and being in you. God, make us those people 
work in our hearts. God, I pray we'd be a people that would treasure you so much that we would rejoice in you and you alone no matter the circumstances. God, I pray you'd be our treasure. And I pray that all in Jesus' name.